0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy writes with Brian Scott. Libby. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought
1: you have.
2: What is up on a Tuesday? I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippey rights podcast. Scott, uh, two guests for you today. We have Scott Wright, Oklahoma State beat writer for the Oklahoman. Had him on to talk Spencer Sanders. Why he left Oklahoma State. Why he thinks he chose Ole Miss. His likelihood of playing. What he does well. What he doesn't do well. And uh, just adding some more color and context to the situation of what seems to be kind of the uh, oddball third guy in this now quarter uh crowded old Miss quarterback room uh so we got to talk to him which I really appreciated his time and then we talked to John McNamara who covers uh Wisconsin and particularly recruiting for Badger Blitz the Wisconsin Rivals affiliate uh Really just something that I was interested in myself. I talked to him about the Phil Longo hire that I thought was a very like quiet hire in this offseason as they hire Luke Fickle, which was honestly the hire of the offseason. But like how the hell Wisconsin, who's kind of known for its pro style, that's how they run things approach, is going to suddenly shift to the air raid. So talk to him about that, the changing footing. Uh, recruiting footprint, I should say, and uh, how he thinks Longo will fare at Wisconsin. So good show, football-centric show. I think you'll enjoy it. But before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Fix. Who is Skybox Sports Fix? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Here's some stats for you. Skybox went 65 and 43, up 50 units last week in college basketball. Did you do that? Probably not. They're free plays just from following them on Twitter, eight and two last week, which is absolutely ridiculous. They clean it up this time of year in college basketball. you got the NFL playoffs going. If you're into wagering, you're tired of losing money to your bookie, Skybox is the only option to profit in the long run. Their algorithm, as I've told you guys time and time again, absolutely murders it when it comes to college basketball. They are well over 60% year after year. That is their bread and butter. You need to cash in now while you can. They're crushing it in the NFL. They've got NASCAR coming up. You had Skybox Mark, who's coming on the pod here soon, to explain how he ended up plus 200 units in NASCAR last year and all kinds of other great stuff. All you have to do is go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. Find a picks package. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. I'd recommend just signing up for the year-long all-access pass. You can do one sport, multiple sports, whatever. Buy it. They'll send you a nice color-coded spreadsheet that's got the picks by Units, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were five minutes before. And if you use the promo code Rippy, that's R-I-P-P-E-E, that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxportspicks.com. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're a Rippy Right subscriber or listener. You get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week. All these podcasts and discounted meets. Just go in there, show and proof of subscription, and you get three. Six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation that you're getting for 20 bucks. Boom. That's you and the buddies just throwing three steaks on the grill. Then go find all your own favorites there. They got all kinds of delicious sausages, fresh seafood, delicious sides. It's the best butcher shop in the world. It's the crown jewel of Oxford. Got to see my man Greg over the weekend. He wants to make your growing experience great. Check them out. If you're in Oxford and you don't go by LB's, you're missing out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Scott Wright, Oklahoma State beat writer for the Oklahoman, on Spencer Sanders. All right, we now welcome on Scott Wright, Oklahoma State beat writer for the Oklahoman. I really appreciate you taking a minute out of your day to uh, hop on the podcast here. I wanted to talk to you a bit, obviously, about Spencer Sanders, and I guess we'll get down right to it. He's a four-year starter. He spends five years at Oklahoma State. He's a kid that comes out of a pretty big program in the Dallas area, right? Didn't Ryan, if I remember correctly. I guess we'll start there. Why do you think he left Oklahoma State?
3: you know i think he just sort of felt like it was time for a fresh start it was obviously a very difficult season not just for him but all the way around for for the oklahoma state football program um, you know really high expectations coming off of that fiesta bowl win 12 and 2 season in 2021 and it just it just didn't pan out for a variety of reasons and and you know sanders was at the center of it uh, health was his ma- his major issue in 2022 you know, dealt with a, uh, an AC joint uh, injury that uh, really limited what he was able to do um, in terms of, uh, of throwing the ball and, and, and just being on the field. So, um, But everything around the program just felt like it was crumbling for a while there. And, um, you know, I, I think that he felt like it was time to, to venture out and, and see if there might be a better opportunity out there for him somewhere else.
2: Did you pick up the sense that that was a shock to the program or did were, did were the kind of tea leaves pointing that way? What was kind of the Oklahoma State program reaction to Sanders uh, deciding to move on? Because he announces it in early December, right, before the bowl game. So I guess they did have a little bit of time, but was that a surprise to people around the building?
3: I would say probably 50-50. Uh, okay. There were some people that that felt like Sanders was was – content where he was you know they were putting together a, a, a good NIL offer for him um things like that that they they felt like they had uh, that, that he was going to uh, to stick with Oklahoma state until he decided to go pro whenever that was um honestly there were a lot of people that, that was more their concern this offseason was that he might jump to the NFL rather than use his super senior year so um but there were there were people that that understood that you know Spencer is intensely competitive he and Casey Dunn butted heads at times, um, you know, he and, 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 and other members of the staff, it wasn't always the smoothest relationship between all of them. So um, people understood that that there were some, some feathers that had been ruffled and, and knew that it might be a possibility. So it, it wasn't a complete blindside, uh, but it, on some levels, it was still a little bit of a surprise.
2: You mentioned health being kind of the predominant reason that 2022 is such a struggle for Oklahoma State collectively, or excuse me, Sanders specifically, but obviously that kind of leads to collectively, you know, things not going as well. You mentioned coming off the Fiesta Bowl year and having high expectations. Is there anything aside from Sanders health that you could kind of point to that maybe led to a little bit of a downward turn below expectations? Like kind of how did that year play out into what it became?
3: You know, there were there were some uh, some other things, obviously, on the defensive side, they went through a, a coordinator change and uh, and and lost a lot of really talented players. They had five guys off of off the 2021 defense who were on NFL rosters in 2022. So they lost a lot of talent off of that defense. So they were going through a, a lot of, of turnover along with the new coordinator. And and then uh, on the offensive side of the ball, the uh, the offensive line has just been just been out of whack the last few years. Uh, they got hit really hard by injuries during the COVID season of 2020. They they went through a lot of guys that year and have just never really solidified that group again. They had a couple of injury issues up there uh, that required some guys to to change positions uh, on a, a couple of occasions. But uh, but overall, it was a lot of the same uh, the same kind of group that was uh, that was playing. Uh, but they just uh, they just really struggled to run block in particular, and and that is so important to what Oklahoma State does to set up the play action game and 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 zone read and different things that they that they like to do. So when they can't run the ball, it's a real struggle for that offense. And and that was the uh, uh, you know as far as as far as schematic things, that was the big struggle that they had. And then then you mix in Sanders and, and his shoulder issue, and it and it really complicated things.
2: You mentioned the new coordinator Casey Dunn. He comes in. He was a uh, he was internal promotion, if I'm not mistaken. I think he'd been around the program since what around 2019, maybe even before that. A
3: long, long time. He's in his uh, 12th year with OSU now.
2: So everyone, obviously, Gundy's an offensive guy. Like when you mentioned, kind of the relationship, not always, it always being the smoothest rides. What was different, in your opinion, about kind of the Oklahoma State offense this year that maybe? led to some tension or whatever the case may be. Like, how Gundy seemingly being there so long, you would think kind of the system relatively is a system. How different was it this year with a new coordinator, despite having an offensive head coach, than maybe it looked in the first four years of Sanders' career in Stillwater?
3: Uh, you, you know, that's uh, that's one thing that I think kind of complicated things for, for Sanders. You know, he was recruited uh, by Mike Yursich. Yursich was the offensive coordinator his uh, his redshirt year when he was his true freshman year when he redshirted uh, and then and then Yursich left for uh, at Ohio State at that time. He's bounced around a little bit since then, but um, you know so then Sean Gleason comes in. He lasts one year. He's off to uh, uh, to Rutgers and and then Casey Dunn gets promoted. And you know he was a receivers coach where the other two guys were quarterback coaches. They brought in Tim Rattay as as the quarterbacks coach. And he and he and Spencer Sanders seem to get along really well from what uh, uh you know from what it appears on the outside. Uh, but th- but it didn't always translate to um a, a real good mesh with Casey Dunn as, as as a receiver's coach and offensive coordinator. So um you know that uh, i I think uh, I, I think Sanders competitive drive and um you know not always understanding, when it's uh you know maybe when it's safe to to punt or uh or maybe just disagree. Maybe it's stuff that he doesn't understand, but he just disagrees with a call uh when he wants to go for it on a fourth down or uh wants to be able to throw the ball in a certain situation and and, and they're telling him to run the ball. So um you know I think that uh that uh when things began to, to crumble a little bit they didn't see eye to eye more often on um, on just philosophy and 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 play calls and when to do certain things, and uh, I think that's what uh, that's where that really festered for those two guys.
2: Were they much different schematically than they were in 2021, or is it just kind of the small things when you bring in a new guy in the room in a different role and different relationships?
3: Yeah, no, it was uh, schematically the same offense. Honestly, they were uh, they were they were actually better on offense. In the first half of 2022 than they were in in 2021 because they had uh, they had some some O-line issues. They had a lot of injuries at receiver in 2021. They were playing a bunch of true freshmen at receiver. So they sort of limited what they were doing in the passing game that year. They come out in 2022 from the start. They're they're playing at a much faster tempo they're uh, they're they're going really quickly they're putting up good numbers and then um you know Sanders hurts the uh, the shoulder there the week before that TCU game where they suffered their first loss of the season um, then they they bounce back and have a good winning against Texas the following week where he led a comeback from 17 down uh, for a uh, for a victory on homecoming in Stillwater and then it just it uh, just all went south from there they only won one, one more game the rest of the way
2: As far as Gundy, I mean, you have a guy that's four year starter, you would think him coming back for, you know, his super season that would kind of lead you as having stability, maybe when it's not found elsewhere on the roster. I guess I'm kind of bouncing around here, but like from a fan base temperature perspective, like did was there a mutual, I guess, not understanding, but mutual feeling about maybe wanting to get a fresh start or were people pretty distraught about seeing him go? Uh,
3: I'll say this. Spencer Sanders over the tenure of his four-year starter uh, tenure um, was a very polarizing player for Oklahoma State fans. A lot of fans really appreciated his athletic ability, his toughness, his knowledge of the offense, his ability to uh, go and make plays. And then there was a, a, a another uh, large group of fans that were really frustrated by the fact that he threw 40 interceptions over four seasons. And um, you know, they're, they they don't have a lot of respect for the fact that that you know he's the second winningest quarterback in Oklahoma State history. He won thirty games as starting quarterback. Only Mason Rudolph won more. Um, so it's a it's, there's a big divide in in terms of how fans view Spencer Sanders, his value to the program, and what his four years uh, were were about. So um, there were. Uh, there were some people that were happy to see him go and, and some people that were really, really bothered by the fact that he didn't stick around for one more season.
2: You alluded to some of it a second ago, but just like scouting report on Sanders and from what you've seen, what do you, what does he do? Well, what are some of his shortcomings?
3: But, but you know, when you, I'll start with the shortcomings, because obviously I just mentioned the 40 interceptions and he really brought those numbers down uh, over his last two seasons, um, really got that under control and was was less of a risk. To, uh, to, to throw the ball to the other team. Um, you know, you go back to uh, 2021 is when he really started to, to make some progress in that area. He did have uh, you know, two games against Baylor. He threw seven interceptions, one of those being a four-pick game in the Big 12 title game that a lot of people remember. So, uh you know that he throws four picks, they lose by five points. It was a it was a rough day. So, um you know th- that's uh, that's the area where uh you kind of point to with with his shortcomings. Had some fumble issues early in his career, really seemed to get those under control later in his career. Um, when you talk about his strength, the first thing you've got to talk about is his speed, his his ability to get out of the pocket, make things happen, um, you know, make plays on on call run plays or just when things are breaking down. Um, he's he's one of the uh, one of the most gifted running quarterbacks I've ever covered. So uh, you know he he's rushed for more yards than any quarterback in Oklahoma State history, and they've had some some guys that that ran the ball decently well, Zach Robinson and and, and guys like that. If you go back back earlier in the, uh, you know, the history book. So, um, but that's the thing that, that stands out. He does have a strong arm. Um, his accuracy improved over the course of his career until, until the injury hit late and then it, uh, it struggled a little bit. And, uh, and you saw his, uh, his completion percentage dip just a bit over the second half of the season. Uh, but, he got he got much better in that over the course of his career, and um, just the uh, the 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 intangibles of his his toughness and his competitiveness really stand out to uh, a lot of people who who watch him and, and and get to know the type of player that he is.
2: Yeah, when you look at just like his raw numbers over what is a very large sample size as a college player now, it's pretty consistent, right? He's gonna be around somewhere between 2,500 like 2, yards in that high teens touchdown range and somewhere you know, flirting with nine, 10 interceptions. You know, what did, what did, did you get the sense of like what he projected as as a professional prospect as a thrower? In what ways is he limited and what does he do? Well it's just specifically throwing the football, you know, outside of decision making, just kind of in the throws he can and cannot make
3: yeah he uh, he's not incredibly limited in in that way there uh, there are some throws um you know the deep balls weren't always uh, weren't always perfect but he's not terrible in in that there's nothing uh there's there's not an area where you feel like yeah he just can't make that throw there there are some areas where he, where he struggles at times um but um but for the most part pretty consistent thrower um you know i think when you look at him um, you know, as a, as an NFL guy, I, I, um, you know, you look at, a, at, you know, a guy like Skylar Thompson that just started for the, for the dolphins, um, you know, kind of in, uh, in that, in that realm, I think, uh, you know, he's a guy that's got the talent to go latch on somewhere and be a, a third team guy. And, um, you know, then once that happens, who knows, you find yourself starting a playoff game like Skylar Thompson did. So, um, you know, you know, I, I, I've seen, I, I saw Skylar Thompson play a few games. I saw Brock Purdy play four times, um even when he was at, at at Iowa State and I I don't feel like those guys are 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 noticeably better than Spencer Sanders. I think that he's right in that range where he could get on a roster and and be a third team guy at the NFL level.
2: You know, in some ways, between like the deep ball accuracy that you mentioned to the running to the sometimes questionable decision-making, hell, it sounds like you're describing Jackson Dart, which just kind of makes this whole old Miss quarterback dynamic so interesting. From your standpoint, were you surprised? I know it maybe came a little bit of a surprise that he's just transferring versus going pro that you alluded to earlier, but what was your reaction to him transferring to old Miss, a place that – has an incumbent starter. I don't necessarily think you could describe describe Dart as entrenched. He certainly wasn't the cause of Ole Miss's problems this year, but I also don't think he performed you know by far and away well enough to. It's like no, no question, he's the guy. I mean, clearly they bring in two more quarterbacks. What was your reaction to him going to a place that you know seemingly had now a crowded quarterback room in Ole Miss?
3: That was a little bit of a surprise and 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 led to you know, probably a few extra phone calls on my end, trying to sort of figure out what what might be uh, be going on. It didn't turn anything up. so I, I can't share any great information with you on that. but um but it was a little bit of a, of a surprise that that he went that direction. Uh, seemed like there were some some other programs out there that that really needed a guy to step in and be the guy from day one and and you thought that might be what uh, what he was looking for. But there seems to be something about. Uh, Lane Kiffin's offense. I know he's really dove into that playbook and, uh, and has fallen in love with what he sees there. And, um, you know, there's just something about it that, uh, that really lured him. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll find out one of these days, exactly what, uh, you know, his thought process was. He's been really quiet uh, on, uh, on that front in terms of of talking about it outside of a, a, an interview or two that he's done. So um, we'll see what else surfaces as, uh, as this goes on, but, um, yeah, very interesting to see him go somewhere that, like you said, you got a starter coming back, you got another guy coming in in the portal. Um, so yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of competition to be had right there.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I think from like an Ole Miss standpoint, he's kind of the wild card, right? Because Ole Miss had to go get another quarterback. They were going to go into the spring with one on the roster, one scholarship quarterback on the roster, which is just like no bueno. That won't really fly. They bring in a kid in Howard who I don't think is ready to play yet this year. But you had a guy with a lot of future. It's like, okay, he can kind of sit behind dark. Then we will see kind of what happens next year after that. But then Sanders is kind of the oddball in the mix, right? One year of eligibility left. Like, what does this actually look like? And like, why bring in a third guy there from the standpoint of, I know covering college athletics, you get these kids in a very limited capacity, but he he was there a long time. Like, what kind of kid is he? What what sense did you get in terms of just leadership qualities and what kind of person he is in the limited you know, space that you were able to see him in?
3: Yeah, uh, I'll start with leadership wise. A really strong leader, intensely competitive, and and guys are drawn to that. Um, you know, early in his career, he was uh, uh, he was a, a little too emotional and had to had to rein that in some because um, he would get a little too fired up about stuff when things didn't go right, um, and and he had to understand how that was impacting the players around him. He learned that and and uh, became a guy that is uh, is really strong in the locker room, really strong leader on the field, uh, the type of player um, that is, uh, you know, coaches always say, you know, you want your, your best player to be your hardest worker, and he's that type of guy. Um, you know, I talked about the toughness. He's a, he's a guy that never shies away from contact. Mike Gundy wished he would have probably a little bit more often during his career. Uh, but, um, you know, he's he's going to go out and uh, if you call a reverse and he needs to go make a block, he's going to go make a block. Um, you know, he's going to try to get that extra yard. Uh, rather than stepping out of bounds early, he's going to do what he has to do. So he's a guy that that players really enjoy playing with and playing for. So, um, you know, he has a uh, a command on the sidelines and, uh, and, uh, and on the field that is really strong and, and, and will unite a team.
2: And the reason I ask that is, is recruiting in a lot of senses really at any level, whether it's the portal or high school, it's about promises and whether they get kept or not, I guess kind of remains to be seen. I don't know the averages on those things, but I would argue with the amount of kids in the portal, probably more promises uh, broken than kept. But the reason I mainly ask that is, is as surprising as a decision as it may be on the surface It doesn't seem like from the vibe that I'm picking up from you and kind of just everything I've read about him, that it's surprising that he would not be deterred by going into a place that has a starter coming back, another kid coming in a crowded quarterback room. I guess for the lack of a better phrase, it doesn't sound like it surprises you at all in the sheer sense that like he doesn't seem to give a shit. He'll just go beat them out.
3: Oh. Oh, absolutely intensely competitive, like I've said multiple times, but um you know he uh, he signed in the class coming in for the uh the the twenty eighteen season and twenty seventeen was Mason Rudolph's final year he was going to the n f l and Sanders was fully prepared to show up and and compete for that job that summer and and going into into august um you know mike gundy. Felt more comfortable with a uh, with a you know a redshirt senior that they already had on the roster and and sort of put the the whole quarterback competition to bed before the guys even got on campus uh, in August for camp that year. But um, but Sanders was was fully prepared to come in and, and try to win the job there. Um, he does not shy away from uh, from that idea. Um, that's why you know th- that's part of the reason that I think Ole Miss was able to stay in the mix. Uh, and ultimately went out is that that he's not afraid of a little bit of competition. so he is uh, he is supremely confident in his abilities and 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 I, I know he fully believes he's going to come in there and win that job.
2: How long, like, so you mentioned that redshirt year that he had, and then the next year, obviously, he wins the starting job. Like, how, what was that kind of like at the beginning of his career with what you remember about that competition? And then, like, how long after that was it clear, like, okay, this guy is probably the guy for the next couple of years? How, how quickly did that become clear?
3: Uh, r- right away, um, go back and look at, at his, um, his, his career debut up at, at Oregon State in, in 2019. He had a, a really good day, threw the ball well ran the ball well made some plays with his feet and uh, they go up there and 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 win fairly easily uh in, on the road his first game as a starter and you knew right away that that this guy was going to be going to be in that seat for for the long haul um you know and and you know he had a really accomplished high school career and um you know there were a lot of people that that even in that 2018 season when he's redshirting we're talking about him as, as the quarterback of the future. So, um, you, uh, you sensed it right away and then he went out and showed it really early and, uh, and settled in pretty quickly as, as, as that guy. And, um, you know, that, uh, you know, he had, he had his growing pains those, those for first couple of years, but he really, um, really persevered through that stuff and, and, uh, and improved over the course of his career.
2: Was he ever at risk throughout that time getting benched? Was there ever a moment where it's like, is he not the guy, or was it pretty much he was it all the way and it was smooth sailing in that regard? Or do you recall a time maybe when things got a little dicey in that regard?
3: Not really. Um, you know, there were uh, there were moments when fans were upset, but it never it never got to the point where you thought that Mike Gundy was close to pulling the trigger. Um, part of that was that that they didn't have. A a ton of depth all the time at quarterback. You know they had, um, you know they had Drew Brown, who was a guy who transferred from uh, Hawaii and, um, you know had put up some decent stats up out there, but but wasn't uh, crazy good. And then they brought in Shane Ellingworth, who's at Nevada now, but um, you know was a four star recruit. You thought was maybe the guy just waiting his time until Sanders is gone. And um, but you never really felt that uh, that they were all that close to ever pulling the trigger on.
2: That was a huge get for them. You mentioned like kind of being a mature kid, polished, super competitive. I uh, I lived in Dallas for a couple of years and freelanced some high school football. And coming from Mississippi at the time, I was like, "Dear God, this is like college like the way these kids are yeah. just polished, the way they're programming." I mean, from the facilities to everything, it really is kind of wild how far ahead kids in Texas, particularly at the quarterback position, seem to be just from like a handling themselves standpoint. That times than you might see from other places. That was a pretty big get for Oklahoma State at the time, right? I mean, that's a Gatorade player of the year, if I remember correctly. Denton Ryan, Dallas, Metro a Kid. Him not going to a Texas school, I don't pretend to remember what his recruitment was like, but that was a pretty big land for them at the time, was it not?
3: Yeah, it was. They had identified him really early. Uh, then there were some programs, some, some big-name programs that came in late and tried to uh, – tried to swoop him away and, and, and didn't have uh, any success. You know, he did have some injury issues in, uh, in high school, had a torn ACL somewhere along the way there. And, um, and so some people were just sort of in, in wait and see mode. And then he goes out and has a great senior year and, and things really picked up again for him. And, um, but Oklahoma state had stayed loyal to him that whole time. And, and, uh, and he felt that he needed to reciprocate that by, uh, by sticking true to his commitment. So it was, it was a really important signing when they, when they landed him.
2: Not that you'd like think like this far into it, you know, nine months down the road, but like let's just I I think the general sense now, at least without knowing anything, without going through spring, that people seem to think around here Dart probably has the edge, he will probably end up winning this job. After talking to you, that you know, there might be, be there might need to be a little more thought given to the fact that, like, okay, he might actually come do this and pull this off and be the starter for a year, but let's just say on like the flip side. If Dart is the starter and he exhausted this last year, I don't pretend to know the transfer rules as well, whether these kids can transfer again. Like, could he go somewhere after spring? I don't know. It confuses the hell out of me. I'll probably go look it up at some point. But it's like on the surface, I'm like, I don't know how this works. But for you, like the way the Spencer Sanders story is in, how shocked would you be if he made this decision, he transfers to Ole Miss, and then he spends the last year not playing? Like how surprising of an ending to the career would that be? It just doesn't seem to jive with anything on his trajectory, if that makes sense.
3: Right. Oh, no, I completely agree. It would be, it would be really odd to watch it in that way Um, after everything that he accomplished at Oklahoma state um, you know, all the, all the great things that he did as a, as a player here. I mean, you go, you go through the, the, the OSU history books, and you get to the quarterback stats and he's first, second, or third in, in, in a lot of major categories in, uh, in Oklahoma state history with, with what he's done over the course of his career. So yeah, yeah. So to see it fizzle out that way would be a, a really odd feeling. And, um, and knowing his competitiveness, uh, I know how tough that would be
2: for him as well. How differently do you think anything plays out in 2022 if the Big 12 championship in 2021 goes their way? Cause they probably make the playoff, do they not? Yeah. Most likely.
3: I, I really think so. I think they get in the playoff if, uh, if, if that had happened, if they, uh, you know they they got tackled. Uh, Desmond Jackson got tackled a couple inches short of the of the pylon with that game winning touchdown. Uh, if he reaches it just a little farther, hits that pylon, um, you know, I think they get into the playoff. Um, you know, then then you don't know. I mean, uh, you know, with the early signing period, obviously a lot of recruiting is already done by that point, so it's hard to say how much it would have impacted that specific recruiting class. Right. Um, but they did they did lose some starters to the transfer portal um, that off season. So it could have changed some things there. Maybe some defensive guys, uh, had hung around rather than going, uh, going to other places where they, um, you know, thought they were going to have better opportunities. So, um, yeah, it, it definitely could have, uh, could have changed some things for sure. Uh, because, you know, two or three different, two or three guys on that defense could have made a whole, uh, whole lot of difference. So, um, yeah, it would have been interesting to see what, uh, you know, how that would have, change the future had, had that, uh, had that touchdown gone in and they come to the playoff
2: last thing for, I'll let you go. What's going of next for this Gundy led Oklahoma state program. I wouldn't necessarily, I don't know enough about it to say it's at a crossroads, but it does seem like it's at an interesting phase. He's been there a long time. He's gotten close to the BCS or the playoff or whatever crazy version we have in college football, of the college football playoff you got a year like this 2023 season is going to be bizarre because it's like everyone's waiting to get the 12 seat table to where it's like hey this is actually a little bit more realistic particularly programs in the sec west but like what is next for this gundy led oklahoma program going forward i mean it does it
3: does feel like it's at a little bit of a crossroads right now you know he's uh he just hired a new defensive coordinator today um hired a guy from the division two level which uh is not out of character for Mike Gundy. He's done that before with, with uh, offensive coordinators. Um, but at a point where you're coming off of a seven and six season, uh, a, a division two hard, doesn't get fans real fired That's up. That's not winning so, the
2: press conference.
3: <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, so it's been a little bit of a weird day following um, Oklahoma state fans that are, uh, you know, there are some that are in Gundy's corner no matter what, and they trust him. Uh, to develop the program. And, and there are others that, that wanted to see him go out and, and throw some money at a, at some of the big names that are, that are out there to, uh, to come in and, and run his defense. But, um, you know, so yeah, so today's been a weird day and, uh, you know, they had a ton of transfer portal movement. In addition to Sanders, they had 16 scholarship guys in all that went out. Um, several of them were, uh, were starters and, um, you know, they brought in a bunch of new guys to, to replace them, but, um, still not the same as, uh, as guys that you've invested a few years in to, uh, to, to build them in, into what you want them to be in your program. So, um, yeah, it is a, uh, it's a really interesting spot that they're in because they need to get this offense back on track. And obviously now they're having to do it with a, uh, with a, with a new quarterback and Alan Bowman who transferred in, um, you know, he was a starter for a few years at Texas tech, went up to Michigan, was third stringer up there for, uh, for a couple of, uh, of, the, of their, uh, their playoff runs. But, um, but yeah, so he hasn't really played much in two years, and now you're handing the offense to this guy. So it's a it's a really interesting spot.
2: Gundy more or less cranky post I'm a man I'm forty whenever that was a year ago. Like, what is Gundy like now compared to like I mean, I use that as kind of a joke, but like five right. ten years ago, is he more or less prickly? Um, for the most part, less.
3: Okay. Um, now he had a little bit of a blow up with a reporter uh, after I the uh, the guaranteed rate bowl um when he got asked about potential staff changes and um you know he he didn't uh didn't care for the timing of uh, of that question or the or the question in general um th- that said we haven't gotten to speak to him since then so uh, we wouldn't have had another chance to ask that question but still um the uh yeah so but but overall he's been uh he's been a really entertaining guy to cover i uh uh, I was on this beat in 2008. Then I uh, I stepped away for a little while. Came back in uh, in 2017. And since that time, he's been uh, he's been really relaxed um, and uh, and and pretty fun to uh, to interact with and and deal with most of the time.
2: He is Scott Wright, Oklahoma beat Oklahoma State beat writer for the Oklahoman. I really appreciate the time and insight, my man. Be well. Absolutely, man. Anytime. All right, that was Scott Wright. I really appreciate his time. Thought he added some pretty valuable insight on the Spencer Sanders situation. I'll try to get the whole grad transfer thing cleared up, whether he's there for spring and how that works uh, here for the next show. Probably should have looked at that beforehand, but I uh, really appreciated Scott's insight on that. Now we're going to go to John McNamara on how Phil Longo is going to turn Wisconsin into a uh, Air Raid-esque offense. I just found this very interesting. I, th- again, thought it was kind of an under- under uh talked about higher I don't know if it's underrated or overrated for this college football off season. so talked a little Luke fickle um talked a lot of Phil Longo how they kind of changed the recruiting footprint already and uh, what to expect from the Badgers next year. All right. We now welcome on John McNamara. He covers Wisconsin for the Rivals affiliate there in Madison, particularly the recruiting angle of it. I appreciate you coming on. This may be one of the more random podcast requests you've ever gotten, but uh, a higher Wisconsin made piqued my curiosity. Uh, and I feel like it wasn't talked about as much this offseason. So we'll get right to it. Um, Phil Longo spends the last couple of years at North Carolina. He was at Ole Miss before that. I think Ole Miss fans remember him well. Some pleasant, some not so pleasant memories. I guess we'll just start there. So they pull off a hell of a hiring Luke Fickle and he brings in uh, Longo as his OC. How surprising was that around in and around Madison as far as the hire? Because it is certainly not the brand of football Wisconsin is accustomed to playing.
1: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, a, a team that's been a pro style system for, you know, the last almost 30 years now, dating back to when Barry Alvarez uh, came over and, you know, there was a little blip on the radar when Gary Anderson came over for two years and he, he wanted to incorporate some, you know, three or four wide receiver sets and, and kind of open it up a little bit. But, you know, what Phil Longo wants to do in this air raid offense is uh, is a complete change in philosophy, a complete change in scheme from what Wisconsin is used to, with running the football with big offensive linemen. So, um, you know, from a fan base percentage or for perspective of, you know, the feedback that we're getting, the excitement around the program, I think a lot of fans are ready for that. And it, it's going to be very interesting to cover. Um, again, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, but it it has been the same offense for, for that whole portion of time. So it's going to be very interesting to see what fall – I'm sorry, spring camp looks like. You know, they brought some quarterbacks in. They brought some wide receivers in. Um, and I think the overall, you know, buzz around Madison is that the fan base is pretty excited about the change.
2: Yeah, and they made a hell of a hire in Fickle, and I may have buried the lead in that aspect of it. I guess we're going to get to more Longo piece of it. What was the reaction to that? I mean, obviously, the approval rating is just through the roof. But how quickly did, like, from the outsider's perspective, it kind of came together quickly. Because when the old Ole Miss, like, Kiffin to Auburn thing was going around, Fickle was a name that, you know, potentially Ole Miss people thought they could take a swing at. Whether he said, yes, who the hell knows, I got the sense that that probably was not going to happen. How quickly did that happen and how surprising was it that they landed Luke Fickle?
1: Yeah, very surprising. Um, You know, even when we came out with our first couple hot boards and stuff like that, where, you know, you put 10 or 12 names together, Luke Fickle didn't seem like a realistic one because of the people that you talked to. He would leave potentially for Notre Dame and potentially for Ohio State and he seemed like someone who was out of Wisconsin's reach to be to be very honest with you and then you know as the process kind of wore on at Wisconsin, all signs pointed to Jim Leonard and we had a lot of Jim Leonard content ready to to publish and, and ready to go and then it really came out of left field that uh you know Luke Fickle was the guy and they were hiring him and it, it was it was crazy I mean i was I was very surprised. Luke Fickle is not on not on my radar. I can't imagine he was on very many people's radar throughout that process. It really looked like Jim Leonard, but in the end, it was Fickle. And again, he hasn't he hasn't even coached a practice yet at Wisconsin, but it seems to be at least this offseason from what he's done in an, an excellent hire for the Badgers.
2: Yeah, and, you know, I've been there with the whole hot board thing, and, like, Fickle kind of runs a spread concept. I'm just curious, like, when you – obviously, it's, you know, based off talking to people, but how much of just, like, you know, when you get to the fifth or sixth name on a hot board, how much of it is, like, you know, something that might fit what's become accustomed to known as Wisconsin structure? Like, was it kind of out of left field in that sense as well?
1: Yeah, and – Wisconsin has always made very Wisconsin type hires where, you know, you're looking for guys who were connected to the program. So, you know, Dave Aranda was a name that was brought up quite a bit because he was Wisconsin's defensive coordinator. You know, would he be an option? You know, Lance Leipold, uh, you know, coached in the state of Wisconsin. I had a lot of success at UW Whitewater. So you were looking for those type of connections because that is what Wisconsin has traditionally done. And, you know, Chris McIntosh went outside the box, Wisconsin's athletic director. And um you know the story that he tells and you know, when we had availability with him is you know kind of going and and switching cars and making sure the license plate wasn't tracked and you know it was all very done you know done in secret you know when he was interviewing Luke Fickle and and you know securing his signature i guess to to come coach wisconsin so again it was it was kind of a complete shock and really these last handful of weeks and months have been too You know, covering what he's done in the transfer portal and covering the hires that he's made. So um, it's been it's been quite a run. And again, like I said, it all this has led to, you know, probably the most anticipated season that I can remember covering for Wisconsin fans.
2: Why did they make a move at head coach It's a guy that's won a lot again, from an outsider's perspective, you just look at the win loss record, the consistent success Wisconsin's had. It was like, Whoa, like that kind of was shocking, but it didn't seem shocking to people around the program and people who covered the program, at least not as shocking. What went into that and why was he fired?
1: Yeah. Well, I would, I would say that was a shock too. Uh, I mean, very on Wisconsin thing to do to, to fire a coach, you know, midway through the season. And, you know, like you said, on paper, Paul Chris looks pretty good. I think he was right around seventy two percent winning percentage. um but the program it, it kind of dipped off in the last handful of years. Um you know the, the offense in particular, just got stale and stagnant, and there was no real innovation there. And you know whether Chris Mcintosh went into this year thinking that that he needed to see significant improvements or not or, Um it it, that seemed to come together very quickly as well. So, you know, Paul Chris being fired was a shock. Luke Fickle being hired was a shock. I don't know which one was bigger, but it's been it's been a wild fall and a wild winter in Madison.
2: Yeah, it really has. And like now, I mean, obviously that's one that breeds excitement, but like back to the longo piece of it, because that's kind of like the old miscentric. He comes in. He's inherited a, a wealth of talent, right? He's got Metcalf, Lodge, A.J. Brown, Dawson, Knox, pretty good quarterback, and Jordan Thomas. Started off as actually the Shea Patterson era, which seemed uh, turned out to be pretty short-lived. They ate up a lot of yards. They moved the ball a lot. They struggled in the red zone. He seemingly kind of carried some of those struggles over to North Carolina, but I don't think there's any doubt that between the 20s that he moves the ball partic- uh, pretty well. I guess I'll start from this standpoint. You cover the recruiting aspect of it pretty well. Does Wisconsin have the ability to have a recruiting footprint conducive to that kind of speed-centric, aired-out system?
1: They didn't prior to Phil Longo. Okay. You know, it wasn't even in the conversation. You know What he's been able to do on the recruiting front, in the transfer portal, has been uh, – it's been outstanding and I don't know that a single coach since I've been doing it has had the impact that he's had, you know, at the quarterback position, you know, that room was, was just about empty and he goes in and he gets Nick Evers from Oklahoma. And then he gets uh Mordecai from SMU, who's likely going to be Wisconsin starter. And then he goes and gets another former four-star kid in Braden Locke um, from Mississippi. Uh, yeah. Mississippi state. So you know, he revamps that room through the portal. And then he goes in the 2024 class and gets Mabry Matower, a big four-star kid from Texas. So just at that position, what he did in a few weeks, Wisconsin had never seen that type of success in, in 20 years at the quarterback position. It's just not a, a spot that they recruited very well. And then the long-go impact kind of trickles into then receivers, where Wisconsin goes in the transfer portal and gets C.J. Williams from USC. And, you know, they get three other guys through the portal as well. So all of a sudden, it's almost a complete overhaul of the quarterback position and the wide receiver position. And now you're thinking, OK, they they can get this up and running right away this year. There shouldn't be, you know, a period where they need to, you know, obviously they're going to have to learn the offense. There's a lot of new pieces here. But, you know, specifically with Tanner and Mordecai coming in the expectation is that this thing gets running right away and they can compete for a big 10 title right away in 2023.
2: Well, how would you describe Wisconsin recruiting p- footprint f- prior to Longo? Cause like someone down here in Mississippi, who doesn't know any better. You look at them on Saturdays, they got a big bruising running back, a bunch of offensive linemen that seemingly just ate cornstalk and cheese curds for the first 18 years of their life. And they just pound you into submission. What does that recruiting footprint look like for the 20 years prior to that? Is it a lot of in-state kids? Like what exactly does that look like? Yeah, you know, in-state
1: kids, you know, the, the old adage is that, you know, Barry Alvarez said, I can, you know, get my big bodied linemen from inside the state. And, you know, a lot of time linebackers as well. And he's got to get his his hands and his feet in other spots. So, yeah, Wisconsin always recruits in the state very well, but you can't make a living there. You got, you got to go outside the state. They they recruit, you know, Illinois, Ohio, New Jersey. They go to the East Coast. And then, you know, they've they've traditionally gone down – uh, to Florida quite a bit as well, and I I think Luke Fickle have a lot of those areas as well. But if you look at Longo, he's just attacked Texas, and right. you know all three of those quarterbacks are from I should say four with with the twenty twenty four Kidma Tower. um and you know the connection that he seems to have there, he's going to ride as long as he can because the one offer that he's made so far in the twenty twenty five class is from Texas as well. So you know Wisconsin's been in that state. I mean I guess every school in the country goes into Texas, but he seems to have a pretty nice niche there in terms of quarterback recruiting. And um, I think he's going to ride that uh, as much as he possibly can, At Wisconsin.
2: From the transition to the pro style scheme that they've had for so long into what this is, is fascinating to me because like I looked, you know, I watched on the other side of the state here where Mississippi state goes to the air raid and that first year, because Leach recruits such a specific type of lineman, he needs very specific types of receivers, not on just the inside, but the outside but particularly up front, it was kind of a rough transition because that's a totally different type of lineman. But to me, just outside looking in, it seemed like if you got the speed on the perimeter, you got the quarterback offensively, it, it can't be that different blocking if you have big, capable offensive linemen. How like smooth or rough of a transition in year one do you see this being in terms of what they add on the roster, what they're able to do in the portal, and kind of implementing guys into the mold of what that offense is supposed to be, if that makes any sense?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, and they've said this kind of on both sides of the ball, that they're going to, you know, not just gut this, what's going on at Wisconsin and start fresh. You know, it, it's very much going to be an air raid system, but Wisconsin has two very good running backs in Braylon Allen and Ches And I think you'll see some, you know, Phil Longo at North Carolina uh, at Wisconsin, at least right away where, you know, I think one year they led the ACC in rushing too. So I don't know that this team's going to throw 65 times a game. Phil Longo talked about balance doesn't mean, you know, running 40 times and passing 40 times. It means getting, you know, all your playmakers involved in the offense and putting them in a position to have success. So, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't think this team is just going to be primarily pass, pass, pass. I think it's going to be a more balanced look, but again, uh, you know, Braylon Allen came out and said, I'm looking forward to running again, some, some six man boxes as opposed to eight and nine man boxes. So it's going to be very interesting to see what the running backs are able to do. Because like we talked about earlier, everyone that Wisconsin faced was not worried about them passing the ball. They, they stacked the box and said, go ahead and pass if you want to. We don't think you can have success there. And they would try to limit the run game. So with this offense, I don't think you'll be able to do that. And they do have the weapons now in place to to really have a balanced attack through the air and, and on the ground if, if Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi are healthy this year.
2: So they the hire Fickle, big time hire, he brings in an out-of-the-box coordinator. We talked a lot about this footprint versus what it is now. Do you think, and I'm asking you just to kind of speculate and guess here to some degree, do you think Fickle made that hire with the intentions of like, we can't do this the way it's been done for two decades if we want to reach a higher ceiling? Because you're talking about a program that's really a model of consistency, but not quite to that upper echelon that everyone's vying to get to. Another weird dynamic is now there's about to be 12 seats at this playoff table. So who knows like how that changes expectations, but do you think that was a like conscious effort to kind of bring them out of the mold they'd been in for two decades?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of these guys probably have their short list of guys and I would imagine Phil Longo was, you know, on Fickle's list, Fickle talked about, hey, I wanted to hire him at Cincinnati and it just didn't work out. And, you know, Phil Longo went to, and said, well, the only job I would leave North Carolina for would to be work under Luke Fickle. You know, whether that's true or not, obviously there's, there's a connection there. So I think that, you know, as Fickle's looking at these jobs, he has a short list of, hey, I, I'd bring try to bring Phil Longo to wherever I went. Um, so I don't know that he looked at Wisconsin necessarily and said, we can't do what we've been doing. Um, I think it was more of a like, hey, I'm going to look to bring Phil Longo wherever I go. And it happened to be Wisconsin. But, um, you know, if there was ever an offense that needed a change, uh, you know, uh, needed some fresh set of eyes on it, it was probably Wisconsin's. And again, it's going to be a very different switch, you would imagine, with a pro style run team as opposed to an air raid. But um, it'll be very interesting to see what balance they kind of strike this this spring and going into the fall as well.
2: From, like, Badger fans' perspective, how long is that going to take to get used to in just the terms of the amount of plays, what that looks like, the amount of throwing the football around the yard? Like, how, like, I know we're not there yet, but, like, how do you see that going? I imagine that's got to be a pretty stark contrast.
1: Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, again, this has been this has been almost 30 years in the making of, of ground and pound and three yards in a cloud of dust or whatever – you know, little saying you want to say about Wisconsin football and it's, it's going to look different, but I, again, I think it's a very welcome change from what Wisconsin fans have seen over the last two, three years under Paul Christ, you know, some of it, him calling the offense, some of it, Joe Rudolph calling the offense, some of it, no one knew who was calling the offense. So again, I fans are ready for this, you know, a large chunk of them. So I think they'll get, they'll get used to it real quick if they start winning football
2: games. And lastly, before I let you go, like the I know it's still in the early stages of it, but like how have you noticed how it's how, how you've had to change covering recruiting with all of this? Cause clearly it's a way different approach. And look, college football as a whole, the recruiting's way different. My head spins every day trying to figure out who Ole miss is after, not after in the portal and how all that works. But just in terms of like the type of kid and all of that, like how are you adjusting to covering it differently? Because it does seem, particularly on the offensive side of the football, they are recruiting different types of players.
1: Yeah, it's um you know, it's a. Again, I I say this kind of stuff, and it you know Wisconsin has had a ton of success, so it, yeah. you, you know it's not saying one thing. It's because the other thing is bad. It it seems to be a more modern approach to recruiting. Where look, they're they're trying to create buzz around the program, and Paul Christ, he wasn't that wasn't his focus. I mean, he wanted to to be a head football coach and coach football. He wasn't always interested in in doing the other thousand things that a head coach at a power five school had to do and I, I think Luke Fickle understands a lot of those things whether he likes to do them or not, I don't know that anyone likes to go on Twitter I I hate going on Twitter but <laughs> this, it's, just, it's part of the job so you know in terms of generating interest and in building up you know junior days and and you know creating interest in the program it's it's been different than what the previous staff has done um the transfer portal is very different in you know, Wisconsin used the transfer portal in the short amount of time that it was available um you know i guess when it you know just kind of blew up you know they added 13 guys this year i don't expect that to be the norm but that was different um you know they have gone after at least offer wise in just these last 48 72 hours here a lot of top tier four star borderline five star talent across the country so you know whether or not they can get those guys on campus, it remains to be seen, but it's certainly a different approach. And I feel like this is a group where, hey, we were at Cincinnati for a while. We upgraded in terms of our brand in our you know facilities and our resources. And we feel like we can recruit with the best teams in the country. again, we'll we'll see how they stack up and, and what kind of success they have. But I think this is this is a group that have, has made a big jump, and they're excited to to see what they can do like I said, with, with with a whole new set of resources and, and everything available to them, recruiting-wise and, and facility-wise and, and on the football field as well.
2: He is John McNamara, editor and recruiting analyst of Badger Blitz. I really appreciate the time and insight, my man. This was really fascinating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
2: All right, that was John McNamara. I hope you enjoyed him and Scott Wright as well as this podcast as a whole. Got some great stuff coming for you down the pipe. Was a little delayed getting the first pod out this week. Got a bunch of interviews lined up and they all kind of stacked up um, on top of one another. Got a uh, a Mississippi-based Ole Miss alum musician, Watson Turnipseed, coming on the pod on Thursday. A really fascinating guy to talk about his career in music. He's also an attorney that practices international law. I think you'll really enjoy that one. They're going to talk some college baseball on Thursday. Friday, and then some golf-related stuff coming to you next week. So a lot of good stuff cooking on the Rippy Rides pod lately. Y'all have a great uh, start to your week, beginning your week. We'll holler at you here in a couple days.
5: The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos.